0: Good morning. Thank you for joining our service uh, today. And the title of my sharing this morning is is a question. Well, there is this thing about question. I came across a survey done in the UK in 2013, where 1,000 children between the ages of 2 and 10 were were surveyed. And um, who asked the most questions? So it turns out that uh, the four-year-old girls would ask the, the most questions. And how many? How many in a day? 390 questions a, four-year-old, a typical four-year-old girl will ask in a day. That's 39 questions an hour if you take uh, an awake time of 10 hours. So I kind of feel sorry for for parents who have four-year-old girls and who have to do home-based learning now. You'll be entertaining a lot of questions. But as adults, there is one question that we ask repeatedly, many times, throughout our lives. And that question is, why, oh God, why? Why would there be... 2.15 million people infected with the COVID-19 virus. And why 144,000 deaths as of uh, Thursday? From the first death in China on the 11th of uh, January, that's 97 days. That means a doubling of deaths every 5.7 days, and if we continue at this rate, and actually the rate is, uh, is escalating, it's not the same uh, every day, if we continue at this average a, uh, rate, the total number of deaths will exceed a million in about two weeks, in 15 days. Well, some people try to offer perspectives Uh, about this virus. Some people say that malaria kills 2 million people every year and we don't make a hue and cry about it, or at least most of us don't. There is this 1918 Spanish flu that infected 50 million people worldwide and killed, in America at least, 700,000 people. And we've forgotten that that the H1N1 virus in 2009 was a global pandemic that killed up to half a million people globally and killed 18 people in Singapore. So COVID-19 is not a big deal. <laughs> then it's not, it's not an answer that, that satisfies me or satisfy us, and certainly it doesn't comfort us even if we have this perspective. And then we have the preachers, what I would call the so-called pastors among us. One of them, who's got three private jets, by by the way, he tells his congregation, continue to give money to me and to my ministry, even if you have lost your job due to the COVID-19 virus. And he said, that is faith. And then he proceeded to exorcise the virus and to declare it destroyed and that was 17 days ago. We have another pastor who asked her congregation to give to her 91 US dollars. Why? In order to get some 91 protection. And you know that verse that reads, uh, uh, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near to your home. Others have said that The COVID 19 virus is God's punishment for the persecution of Christians in certain countries, for the sin of abortion, for homosexuality, or whatever pet topics that the preacher uh, may have. Well, there are other more considered and sober views from other pastors and theologians, but I often find them lacking in grace because they tend to be very self-righteous and they often turn their arguments into an attack on atheists and atheism. Why, oh God, is a question we ask today in 2020, but also 2,000 years ago. Reading from Luke chapter 13 verse 1, There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. The question to Jesus was, what about those that Pilate killed while they were offering sacrifices in the temple? Were they more sinful than the others in the temple? Was Pilate an agent of God to punish them? But Jesus answered by asking another question. Reading from verse 2, and this was Jesus' question to the questioners. Verse 2, and Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, in addition to the Galilean tragedy at the hands of a man, of Pilate, Jesus added the story of suffering, possibly not at the hands of a man, but perhaps of nature. The 18 who died when a tower fell on them, possibly due to an earthquake or or maybe due to poor construction. So in Luke 13, with one stroke, Jesus negated four common assumptions that people often make. Firstly, that suffering... Is proportional to sinfulness. Secondly, that tragedy is a sign of God's judgment. Thirdly, that bad things happen only to bad people. And fourthly, that we have a right to make such judgments. Firstly, suffering is proportional to sinfulness. There is a whole book of the Bible in Job, 42 chapters, which tells us that Job's suffering was not proportional to his sin. Tragedy is a sure sign of God's judgment. Twice, Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, No, no, the tragedy of the death of Job's children was not a sign of God's judgment. Likewise, those who were killed by Pilate and those who were crushed by a tower in Siloam. No. Thirdly, that bad things happen only to bad people. Job was a righteous man, but bad things happen to him. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says that, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he, the Father, makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So it's not bad things. And you and I know that bad things happen to good people too. And then fourthly, that we have a right to make such judgments. You know, for proper judgment, we need perfect knowledge. We need complete information. And I was personally astounded to hear a a Singapore pastor friend of mine presume to announce that he knew the sins or at least the foolishness of another pastor who died in a traffic accident and another Christian who suffered from losing some of his limbs due to a flesh-eating bacteria. He made that judgment. So the crowds wanted to know from Jesus, why? Was it an act of God's specific judgment on specific sins? In both cases, Jesus says no. Those who were murdered by Pilate, those who were crushed, were not worse sinners than you. The questioners were curious about other people's sins. Jesus brought them back to consider their own sin. And Jesus was once challenged with the question of why a certain man was born blind. Was it due to his own sin? or that of his parents. So let's read from John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So it was not the blind man's sin. It was not the parent's sin. It was to reveal the glory of God. It suggests that we just do the work of God. We must work, do good, while there is light. Jesus is the light of the world, but as long as he is not in the world, we are the light of the world. And then Jesus healed the man. And the point of this incident suggests that we should not presume to know the purposes of God in in any particular instance of suffering. Not yet. I came across this short poem that illustrates this point very well. It's the weaver. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colours, but he weaves steadily. Sometimes he chooses sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unfold the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are, are as needed in the master's weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And I think this is a wonderful poem. It echoes Isaiah chapter 55 from verse 8. And this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So often we tend to make judgments prematurely. In the Bible there is the story of Joseph in Genesis. He was sold into slavery by his uh, jealous brothers falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. And yet, Joseph did the works of God. He remained righteous before God and eventually, after many years, became the second most powerful man in Egypt or on earth at that time. He then saved his family from famine and he told his brothers this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. Out of the greatest evil and difficulty, God can bring even greater good. Tragedies and hardships can prepare us to help others. All of the trials that Joseph had made him into the man he needed to be. And that is a good example of progressive revelation, that God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than ours, and they are progressively revealed to us. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 is the verse that we all really need to know. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. While you can do good work to alleviate suffering, do it, then wait for God to reveal the reasons why it has to be so. Jesus asked another question in John chapter 6, verse 67, and Jesus said to the 12 disciples, do you want to go away as well? Meaning, do you want to, to leave me? Don't follow me anymore? And so the apostle Peter learned from his master by answering Jesus' Jesus's question with another question. And Peter's question was this, John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. G.K. Chesterton said it another way. He said, when belief in God is difficult, there is a tendency to turn away from Him. But in heaven's name, to what? To whom shall we turn? If there is no God, if there is no eternity, if there is no justice, if there is no moral law, then there is no basis for good and evil. There is no basis to say that COVID-19 is bad or good. And we can only conclude with a question why bother why not eat drink be merry for tomorrow we die since there is no God there is no moral objective objective moral there is no good there is no bad why bother and so we can either run away from God or we can run towards God And this is an age old question all over the Bible. Thirteen times in the book of Psalms, the psalmist asks, How long? How long, O Lord, do we have to suffer? Four other times in Isaiah, in Habakkuk, in Zechariah, and then finally, even in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, How long, O Lord? It suggests, that the faith of the Psalmist and all these others had been shaken. But then again, we say that the faith that cannot be shaken is the faith that has been shaken. And we get out of it. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 8: For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, but, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And this is the ultimate solution to the problem of good and evil and suffering the cross the one place in history and in the world where evil love forgiveness and justice come together evil are the sins of man and they have its consequences including earthquakes and tsunamis and viruses justice because that sin was punished was paid for on the cross. Love, which was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. And forgiveness that sets us free and reconciles reconciles us to the Father as God raised him from the dead after the cross. You think about the two thieves who were crucified with Jesus on the cross and their responses... (coughs) reflects the two responses that a person can have concerning suffering and sin as they were both suffering on the cross. The first thief simply wanted it to stop. He wanted relief from pain. He asked to get off the cross, but he received nothing. The second thief had a spiritual perspective and took a long view. He asked to enter Christ's kingdom. And for that, He received, and he received eternal life. Jesus did not ask either of them to do anything for him. Both were dying, both needed help, but they had different priorities, and they asked for different things. We too face the same two choices. Last week on Easter Sunday, Max Jagannathan talked about an anchor that must be deployed outside the boat. The boat that you and I are all in, being battered and tossed and turned in by viruses, by by disasters. And how true it is that we must reach out to someone who is outside the boat, something that is someone who is outside of time. In fact, this gut reaction is built into all of us. You see something beautiful and amazing scenery in, in Switzerland or or, or, or New Zealand, or, or even a perfectly formed double rainbow in Singapore, and you will suddenly exclaim, Oh my God! At the same time, when we read a text that there were two, uh, 728 new COVID-19 infections in Singapore on Friday morning, we also exclaim, ex- exclaim Oh my God! Why? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So eternity is inbuilt in our hearts. Like it or not, somehow we reach out to God, we reach out to someone beyond time, we say oh my god but we don't just live in the year 2020 we are living between genesis chapter 3 when man was created and revelation chapter 20 the end of time as it were so how and that's that's a question in in singlish so how Let me move on to my last question. So how? And I'm reminded of another question posed by a clinical psychologist, also a theologian, also a pastor, Bruce Atkinson. And he said, why waste a valuable trauma? And this is the trauma. What do we do with it? A trauma wakes us up. And many have called this pandemic a wake-up call. And certainly it has woken us up in Singapore to the plight of foreign workers crammed in dormitories. But personally, has it woken you up? It has woken me up, and I'd like to share three wake-up calls, as it were, for myself, some reflections. Firstly, it has woken me up to, to humility, to be humble. James chapter 4 from verse 13 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. How humbling. How humbling that if it were not for God's grace, we would not be able to do such and such, this and that, to to do business, to have a holiday, to buy toilet paper, To know that so often we know the right thing to do but we fail to do it and that is sin and that is the wake-up call for humility for humanity. Sir Thomas Hobbes, a philosopher who lived in the 1600s and who survived the Great Plague of 1665, he said, citizens should contractually give up their freedoms to a ruler who could offer them protection. He meant the government, I I think. But like in Michigan and Kentucky and other parts of the USA, thousands are protesting the state laws that they should stay at home. Everybody thinks that I'm virus-free and that I'm free to go where where I want to go, but you may have the virus and not have symptoms, and you may be the one infecting others, and hence the stay-home laws. So, true humility is to give up our rights. Our rights that we never had in the first place. Give it up to Him who offers us eternal protection. Many have quoted Psalm 91 in this season especially verse 10 that says, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague will come near to your tent or to your dwelling or to your your home. And by God's grace, indeed, some have been miraculously protected and healed, but it is not universally true. You and I know that. Certainly not now, but it has to be universally true. And that can only be for all believers when viewed from eternity. That Psalm 91, no harm shall befall you, no plague shall come near you, will be true when we look at it from the perspective of eternity. So our humility should lead us into action. In in the journal of uh, Henry Martin, yes I have it here, he wrote in January 1812, um, the journal says between January 1st to January 8th, and then he died about 10 months later. Died of what? Died of the plague. And he said, to all appearance, and Henry Martin was a missionary to, to India and to Persia. He said, to all appearance, the present year will be more perilous than any I have seen because of the plague. Because of a, a bacteria, a virus. But if God has work for me to do, then I cannot die. And many have paraphrased what Henry Martin said to this I am immortal until Christ's work for me to do is done. And that is so true. So, firstly, this wake up call is one to be humble, and secondly, it is to be thankful. You know, Throughout history, we see God's grace, God's love in all kinds of disasters. From the fall of man, when Adam and Eve sinned, God clothed them. When the great flood destroyed humanity, Noah found favour in God's eyes and repopulated the earth. With the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah, God was just looking and looking for 10 righteous men that he could bless them. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, God used it to achieve the salvation of mankind, of you and I. So we must be thankful that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Romans chapter 8 verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or virus. So be thankful for what we have. Recently, an American celebrity was castigated for a very, maybe, innocent, uh, simple remark. Um, She felt like she was in prison because of the stay-home laws due to this COVID-19 virus. And who was she? Ellen DeGeneres, and she said, one thing I've learned from being in quarantine is that people, people, this is like being in jail, is what it is. And all the netizens, oh, they just, they just uh, uh, condemned her for for this. Why? Because she lives in a $27 million US, US $27 million house, built up area of 8,200 square feet and a land area of thirty six thousand square feet and she said she felt like she was in prison. So be thankful. Spare a thought for those living in foreign worker dormitories, 12 to a room, 20 to a room, or for those who are living in one or two or three-room flats with a large family. Be thankful that we, or most of us, can stock up on uh, groceries and cook at home. There are over 80 families in Teban Gardens and Panang Gardens who cannot, and so we went out to, to help them, uh, going out every week. We're thankful that you have a one-room or two-room flat. There are those who are living in a church basement now, just separated two metres apart, and, and you can see this is our basement. Um, We have space for 10, and um, on Friday night, uh, two homeless uh, join us there. And on Saturday morning, we expect another maybe four, uh, three or four. Be thankful. It is a wake-up call to be humble. It is a wake-up call to be thankful. And finally, it is a wake-up call to be helpful. And it is not helpful to be an armchair critic and start typing out all your complaints about uh, government and they should have done this and they should have done that. Why am I suffering this away and that away? Let me share with you uh, what was written in uh, by uh, St. Cyprian. And it talks about Christian behavior. So let me read. During the terrible plagues, Christians did not abandon sick loved ones nor flee the cities as most of the pagan residents did. Instead, they stayed to tend the sick and face their own death with calmness. Christians used suffering to argue for the superiority of their creed because they suffered better than pagans. So let's be helpful. Let's prove the superiority of our faith, the superiority of Jesus in our lives that we will be covering in uh, Hebrews in, in, in three weeks. Let's be on the look, let's, let let we are on the lookout for, for uh, befrienders and helpers in our S3P at PPHBC okay it's a mouthful it means uh, uh, what is it safe oh gosh something safe sleeping places at PPH brethren uh, church I think it's safe and secure sleeping places I want to quote to you another uh, author and that everybody is referring to I tried to borrow this in the national library and there was a wait list, Albert Camus, I think is how we pronounce his name, and he wrote a novel called The Plague. And let me quote one, uh, uh, something from him. He says, what we learn in time of pestilence, that there are more things to admire in men than to despise. And I hope, even if you don't see that now, that we become those whom people admire rather than despise. We are the helpful ones that will go out of our way in spite of risks to help others. So I'm coming to the end and I was advised that an online sermon need to be shorter because people will uh, be doing all kinds of things uh, uh, while uh, they are not observed by the preacher or by other people. So before I get to the point of pontificating or talking too much i want to end with another quote from camus in this book uh, the plague and it says this okay for context panalu panalu was the was the priest uh, at that time who started out very self-righteous but who ended up well so let me read panalu is a man of learning a scholar he hasn't come in contact with death That's why he can speak with such assurance of the truth, with a capital T. But every country priest who visits his parishioners and has heard a man gasping for breath on his deathbed thinks as I do, the narrator in this book. He tried to relieve human suffering before trying to point out its goodness. And how thought-provoking is this? And I totally identify with um, the Apostle Peter's question. To whom shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life. If I don't draw near to God then, if I don't cry out to God, why? If I don't cry out to God, how long will this COVID-19 situation last? Who do I cry out to? Who do I turn to? It'll be all meaningless, it's just a a, a random freak of nature that we have this virus and everybody suffers. If I don't cry out to God, who do I cry to? To to whom do we turn? You have the words of eternal life. I don't know, I don't have all the answers to viruses or, or suffering. And sometimes I think I don't need to know, at least for now. All I need to know now is that for my life to have meaning and purpose, I have to ask God, not the question why, but ask God to give me wisdom, give me strength, give me compassion to relieve human suffering before I pontificate on the goodness or the meaning of suffering. All I need to be now is humble, thankful, helpful. Let's close in prayer together. Father God, why? Why this global pandemic? How long, Lord, how long before we can get out of circuit breaker mode? How long before things return to to normal and we can fly and we can go everywhere? But also, Lord, how to be humble? How to be thankful, how to be helpful. And Lord, plant this in our minds daily that we would be humble, we would be thankful, and above all, we should be helpful, meeting needs where there are. And God of love and light. Would you, in our time of fear, give us your peace? In our time of isolation, give us your presence like never before. In times of sickness, give us healing. In times of uncertainty, give us wisdom. In times of darkness, shine your light and help us too to be the light that shines all this i pray in jesus name amen